Hi, I'm James P. Friel. And I'm Dean Holland. It's time to fasten your seatbelts, boys and girls. That's right. If you're an entrepreneur who's wanting to take your business to the next level and have a bit of fun while getting cutting-edge advice on your business, marketing, and sales, welcome to Just the Tips, arguably the best podcast in the entire world. I guess that's good, right? Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. That was easy. That was the easiest thing we did all day. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is your host, James P. Friel. I am thrilled that you guys are here with us today. We've got an awesome show lined up for you, with the exception that Dean is back, but don't let that stop you from listening and enjoying the show. Actually, speaking of Dean, I see him coming over the horizon right now, riding into the studio on his white noble steed, galloping, in fact, to get here just to bring you some amazing content Welcome to the show, the one, the only bearded wonder from the United Kingdom, Mr. Dean Holland. Oh, <laughs> I love that intro today. The way the pace picked up along with my galloping was quite something. It, it just like I just got caught up in the moment. I saw you riding in and I was like, oh, my God, he's coming faster and faster. And <laughs> what most people don't know is and I mentioned this to you right before the show. The trumpet that we use for the, you know, your announce. Yes, yes. I actually had that professionally cleaned, polished, and tuned over the weekend just so that we could hit the right note and uh, and really just like, we're just leveling up our game here, everybody. Right. I- I'm sure I can't be the only one that actually noticed the cl- crisper, clearer sound yes, uh, on that was, intro it, today. I love it. It was crisper. It was clearer. <laughs> um, And then, you know, and then it was still you. So right. unfortunately, <laughs> I, I am the only thing that's still the same. So <laughs> right. uh, you can either tune out now or just continue on this dark path, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, so we've got uh, we've got an awesome guest here that I'm very excited to get into today um, for a number of reasons. One is we're at a, you know, a time in our economy where a lot of companies are struggling with a lot of different things. And. And and I think when people come up against the edge of their skill set, sometimes they think the only option is to throw in the towel. Right. And yeah. um, and you know what? Sometimes uh, folding is the right call, but in many times, and and different things that are available to you, but you may not be able to see them. And one of my favorite quotes is: "Most of the time, your problems are not because of lack of resources, but because of lack of resourcefulness." And the guest that we've got on the show today is somebody who specializes in turning around companies, understands the importance of team, culture, building building, uh, building an organization that matters. And so without further ado, I'm very excited. Welcome to the show, Mr. Greg Spillane. Thank you for being here, my friend. That was an amazing, uh, amazing intro, James. Uh, really- I'm sorry you didn't get the trumpet. It's kind of a reserved thing. Next yeah, time we no, need, I get it. I get it. Yeah, okay, maybe, maybe I appreciate time, maybe that. No, this is great. I'm super excited to be here. I think it's gonna be a uh, fun conversation. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome, man. So, uh, so thank you. And in advance, you know, I say this from time to time. I apologize for Dean in advance. Um, you know, for whatever, whatever may happen. Okay, I appreciate that myself, James. It saves me saying it, doesn't it? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's more of a it's more of a courtesy thing. So, um, so Greg, when when people think about a company that's having a hard time, 
Yeah. And, and they're just like, man, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. There are guys like you, turnaround guys who specialize in that. Like, is it some black magic or is there <laughs> science to turning a company around? You know, I think it's a mixture of both. So there uh, is black magic. There's definitely some black magic involved. Yeah. All right. It, I like it. it. It's not science. I wish, uh, I wish if I could bottle it up and just give you a step. If you are listening live, please call in. We want to take your questions. 888-627-6008. Or if you're international, such as our Zing Shao listeners, plus one, three, two, three, seven, four, four, 4831. Greg, you were saying it's a, it's a little bit of both. I mean, uh, you know, I have a background, um, you know, in business. I've done it a lot of times. I've seen a lot of different things. Uh, you know, you got a little bit of that formal education, that MBA, et cetera, and, and, and a lot of different things I've done in my life. You know, I was an athlete in college, uh, so I had a chance to kind of go through that sort of athletic rigor. And, and, and I think I bring a lot of things to the table, uh, but every situation is different. Um, it's, it's, it's about getting to know the team. It's about to getting to know the company, you know, what they've done right, what they've done wrong. And, and then honestly, it's like molding into the culture that exists. I mean, you're going to want to change it and you're going to want to make some things different. Uh, but you know, a lot of times if the company is, is at a point where they're going to bring somebody like myself in, they're already doing a lot of things really right. And there's just a few things that they're doing wrong. Mm. So, you know, it's not coming in and trying to flip the company upside down. It's really, uh, you know, narrow in on, on, on some of the mistakes, the missteps that have happened and, uh, you know, get to know the team, make some changes to the culture, make some changes to the direction, give them a little bit more focus and, and then, you know, get everyone aligned and, and sort of, uh, you know, marching in the same direction. All right. So, all right. So let's just say, you know, we've got, we've got a situation, we call you in. And what, like, what is the first thing that you actually look for? Yeah, no, it's a good question. So I, you know, I, I, I never meant to do this, by the way. I, I mean, I truly <laughs> kind of fell into this role. I, I you know, I, I never meant to do a podcast with Dean either, but right. here we are. Here we are. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes so, life just doesn't go the way you think. <laughs> uh, I, I got brought into my first company doing this by a business school colleague of mine. I was in the enterprise world. I was an entrepreneur early in my career, working in management consulting, kind of like cushy, you know, like making good money. Like, honestly, it wasn't that difficult. Um, but I wanted to get back in the entrepreneurial world. I got brought into this company. It was a roll-up and they had brought, uh, it was actually five different companies that were acquired, um, founder of the company, uh, you know, typical entrepreneur, big visionary, was really great at raising money. He was, was great at telling his story, not necessarily a great execution type of person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they brought me in to kind of just look at things and, and originally build out like a go-to-market plan. Like, all right, how do we monetize this? How do we make some money? And, you know, one thing led to the other and we ended up making a major change, led them through a pivot, uh, spun off, sold a couple of different groups and, and had a lot of success there. And then, what happened is I started to get brought into these other companies in similar situations. Hey, you know, there's something here. We don't know quite what it is yet. Can you help us monetize it? Can you help us sell it? Can you help us take it to market, et cetera, et cetera. And it's kind of evolved. Um, so now, you know, when I, when I, when I come into companies and things that I did before versus now is I think before I was much more over anxious to come in immediately with my expertise, like see a problem and solve it. Like, oh, like you're doing that wrong. Let's change this. Let's do that. This is ridiculous. Let's, you know, get rid of this person. Let's hire this person. And, and although I think a lot of times maybe it was even the right, uh, the right strategy, 
you're you're like a bull in a china shop and you break a lot of glass and even though you know it's it's the right decision teams don't always follow you start to lose people you kind of alienate yourself and uh so what i've learned through experience and and quite honestly through scars that i've i've worn you know doing this a number of years is the first thing you do is just come in and listen yeah. like talk to everybody hold your tongue um don't criticize I think the easiest thing in the world to do is be a critic, honestly. Like it is so easy to walk in and just be like, whose idea was this? Like, this makes no sense. Like, why are you doing this? Um, and and there's probably was a rationale and there was a reason why. And you weren't in that leader or that person's uh, shoes when they made that decision to do the thing they right. did. So avoid criticizing and just get to know everybody and get buy-in. And, and before you know it, you're going to kind of see the team's going to start to know what needs to happen. And then that change that you're you're eventually going to make, like ultimately you're going to make change and it's going to involve people. It's going to involve careers. It's going to involve a lot of different types of things. If you do it right and you take your time, it'll feel like that change is being driven by your team. And it's not this guy that's coming in from the outside, you know, like office space consultant, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and is trying to like, uh, you know, chop a bunch of heads off. So, right. um, so that's what I do. I mean, so, I just, okay. So, so let's say, you know, somebody's running a company like right now, there's yeah. an, an incredible amount of companies that are running into challenges at the moment. Right. right. You know, uh, you know, customers not buying or they have physical location, they have to like, reduced hours, close up, like whatever, right? Just because of the whole COVID situation or supply chain problems, right? Even Dean has had some supply yeah. chain problems in one of his companies. Yeah. Um, you know, people may not be ready to bring in a turnaround person, right? Because yeah. I think they're like, that's a, you know, probably a very specialized thing that, you know, people would be considering. But if they find themselves in a situation that's challenging, what's your advice to them to sort of self-diagnose and figure out how to get out of their own way to make those pivots mm -hmm. or figure out the right approach with the current situation? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, you know, good. It's, it, it's really difficult to, to answer that specifically because every situation is somewhat different. Um, the, one of my favorite business books of all times is The Hard Things About Hard Things, right? Yeah. Uh, ben Horowitz's book. And it's just his journey of, of running startups and these amazingly difficult decisions you have to make, uh, whether it's, you know, potentially firing friends or firing founders or cutting mm. costs or asking your team to take a pay cut or anything like that. Uh, my advice to anybody right now would be to survive. And the longer you can survive to get through this, the better chance you have to come out on the other end. And, you know, in most cases, companies starve because of lack of funds, lack of resources, lack of capital. So mm -hmm. if you're in a situation where, you know, the macroeconomic situation has, is causing your business to struggle, right? You own a restaurant, right? Yeah. There's not a lot you can do. There's no turnaround guy that's going to come in and and fix things. I mean, maybe, you, you know, you, uh, you, you up your Uber eats or, you know, try to do more remote type of stuff, or you figure out how to do outdoor patio dining or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, you're just going to have to ride this thing out. Mm -hmm. You got to figure out how to survive mm -hmm. and, and, it, and you're going to make tough decisions and you're going to have to maybe cut some people or you're going to have to ask people to take pay cuts or, or whatever it is. So, so that my advice to anybody is, you know, um, is, you're going to know what you need to do in many cases. It's going to hurt. It's not going to be fun. 
it may not be popular. People might not love you for, for it. But if, if, if your role is to like keep your company alive and be able to, to wait this out, you need to figure out how to do that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I, so I think there's probably like people like that where it's like, okay, it's, t- you know, you got to buckle down, do what you can to survive because there really are constraints that you're mm-hmm. up against. And then, mm-hmm. and then there's other people who maybe just need to pivot in some way, right, Greg? Okay. Like you, you know, you, you've helped other companies pivot. How yeah. do you know, like, how do you make the distinction between we're going to go into sort of a lockdown, strip out everything but the bare essentials and just like ride this thing out versus there's a pivot opportunity because this, this crisis is bringing with it, you know, some new thing that we can capitalize on if we navigate that correctly. Like, how do you, how do you help people make that decision? Yeah. 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 So, you know, one of the, one of uh, like an analogy I always use when I, when I, when I do what I do, when I come to these new companies, I feel a little bit like, uh, like we just crashed on a desert Island. Right. And like the first thing you do when you crash and, you know, at least in the movies is like, you go to your plane and you, you, you figure out all the resources. Like, okay, there's a survey the wreckage. There's a battery, right. There's, (laughs) There's, yeah. there's a first aid kit over here. We found that there's fresh water here. Like, what are your assets? Like, what do you have, mm. right? And, and I think that that's kind of step one. And then, you know, step two, you need to identify what you want to do as a company, right? So like when I've been brought into companies personally, myself, these are typically private equity-backed, venture capital-backed companies. And these are people who are looking for, you know, outsized returns. Um, you know, they're not looking so that the founder can build a lifestyle business for himself. Yeah. And, you know, pump sure. out, you know, however much money it is. So, you know, I have to ask myself based on the path that we're currently on, can we execute and get that type of return? Like, can I build a company that is attractive enough to be acquired by a strategic partner or a private equity firm, right? Um, now, if I'm a sole proprietor or I'm more of an independent entrepreneur and I am just kind of looking for a lifestyle business and I am looking to, to pump off of the capital, my considerations might be very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's number one. You need to understand what you're trying to build. I mean, I've been with several companies and it's like, Hey, they got a nice little business here. It's it's a nice business, but like it's not going to scale, and it's really not going to be that attractive to the outside world. And I've led them through pivots, right? Moving from like like on prem software to SaaS software, or you know, figuring out how we're going to build a scale or sales team. Um, but uh, you know, I think that that's the first consideration. And then the second consideration is, you know, ideas are great, but executing is really really hard. And, and I don't think a lot of people realize that, um, you know, I think that's something that it took me a little while in my career, like come up with some great ideas, but you got to really ask yourself, like, do I have the internal resources? Do I have the capital? Do I have the people to be able to actually follow through and do all the things that are necessary? Because I think, I think the worst thing you can do as uh, in, in any situation is, you know, uh, take a business that may kind of be working or maybe, you know, uh, running, go through a pivot. And then not being able to execute on any of the ideas and you just completely right. fall in your face. Yeah. 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 I feel like I feel like the uh the there is there are sometimes rose colored glasses that a lot of entrepreneurs and founders and CEOs wear. We're like, oh, like as long as we believe in the idea enough, right. like it will happen. And uh to quote uh Jack Nicholson from A Few Good Men. 
<laughs> you can't handle the <laughs> truth. Just like right. you gotta, you gotta embrace reality, right? And yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's part of what you're saying. I love, I love the approach of really identifying your assets. Like, what do you have to work with? Which, in and of itself, is an incredibly powerful question, mm-hmm. right? Because everybody has resources, but when we're like looking out there at all the things that we want to create, instead mm-hmm. of like, okay, what do we have to work with? Yeah. We kind of remove ourselves from where we have some some power in yeah. in the moments. Like, hey, we've got you know a great software developer. We've got you know a market of this size. We've got this type of product. This type of people who love us. All these different things. I think that whole asset inventory is uh, is incredibly powerful. And I'm really I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think a lot of times people fail. Um, when they don't recognize the assets they have and they wish they had other assets instead. Mm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think we did a, didn't we do a whole show recently, James, on due to the COVID situation on on utilizing existing assets and resources to to ride the storm, as it were, didn't we? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. So um so let me ask let me ask you something else, Greg. So what what role does culture play in Ooh. I'd say in any organization, but especially in an organization that's challenged and potentially facing some real problems and obstacles. Yeah. I, you know, if you're in a, uh, let's call it a startup or a, a, an entrepreneurial venture or a company that's facing any types of challenges, I think culture is everything. Because um, unless you're really, really small, you, you need a team. Your team, your team is going to be what your company is. I think it's really difficult for you know a founder or a co-founder alone to build a you know a large sustainable you know company without having a great team in place. So, I look at culture. Um, you know, ultimately, uh, it, it's it's how your company does things, right? Like we we always talk about you know when we come into a company, when I come into a company, it's like you're going to have your strategy, which kind of like drives everything, right? Your vision statement, who we're trying to become, right? And then you're going to have your tactics. That's what your day to day is. Like these are the types of things that we need to do to be able to lead our um, yeah to, to fulfill on our strategy. And then you have your values, and your values are what shapes your culture. And those are the things like, what do we believe in as a company? Like, are we going to be uh, a customer-centric company? Are we going to believe in innovation? Is innovation what's going to make us better than everybody else? Like, is, is collaboration big with our organization? Like, caring, you know, that that type of thing. And um, I think it's really important early on. And and one of the first things I do when I come to an organization is set the core values of that 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 company. And and you can't dictate that from the top. That has to come up through your organization. Um, but you take those core values of what's important and how people are going to operate, and then you mix that with with a shared vision or you know a common goal. Uh, and if you can get everybody aligned in that that's ultimately what's going to create your culture in your company. Mm. Um, if there's disconnect there, if people aren't pulling in the same direction, people don't believe in the same things, people don't believe in the overall mission, people don't believe in the CEO, any of those types of things, your culture is going to be funky. And, and, and if your culture is funky, um, you're not going to be able to execute. What um, is a funky culture? Describe or tell a story about a, a funky culture. Like, I, th- I think I, I think I inherently know what you're saying, but like, yeah. Is it is it just dysfunction and backstabbing or just people being unproductive because they don't know what to focus on? Like all of those things, a combination of those things, like what do you what do you kind of call that? You know, um, I, it, it can be a lot of things. I, I think one is if people don't know what they're supposed to be doing. 
Yeah. But why are we doing what we're doing? I think is one. Mm-hmm. That, that's 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 death if your team doesn't know why they're there. They don't know what they're working towards. Um, but a really dysfunctional culture, and, and I've seen this in the past, is cynicism. I think that's the worst thing that you can have within your company where they're showing up because there's a paycheck and maybe it's the kind of person that's just a little bit too, you know, not driven enough to go out there and find a new job. Or maybe they're just, they can show up and punch a clock at nine and leave at five and nobody gives them a whole lot of trouble, but they don't believe in what you're doing. They don't. In fact, they might even, they might even be like secretly working against it or waiting for it to not pan out or something. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I, I, and this isn't just me as a leader, but I think that this is any, any successful startup. Like, you know, if you don't have a team of people that like believe in building something, like if they're just, I tell, I tell people all the time when I hire them, I go, listen, if you want to punch a clock, if you want a nine to five job, you want a steady paycheck to come in, go get a job at a big company. They, big companies love those type of people. You're going to have some tasks. You're going to sit down. You're going to sit in your cube. You're going to, you know, you're going to do what you need to do. You probably can spend the next 10 years there. No one's going to even notice it. But if, if, if you're not willing to come into a company because you have like a true desire to build something and like be proud of this company and like feel like I'm not only a cog in a wheel, but like my thumbprint is on this company and like I believe mm. in it and I like I'm excited that I have stock options and I'm excited that I have equity and I want to build this thing up and I want to sell it and I want to create wealth and I want to be part of something and I want to have a seat at the table, then like don't don't work here. And, and I think that that's, that's the culture you need um, when you are in a situation where you're potentially under uh, capitalized. Maybe there have been some issues or some problems. Maybe there are some macroeconomic problems that, that, that face things and you're expecting things, you know, these people in startups, we know the failure rate on any type of startup, whether it's a small business or, or something that's a little bit more funded, um, you know, startup, uh, the failure rate's super high. If your team isn't aligned with this like vision and this dream of this goal of we need to do this, um, then I think it's going to be really difficult for you to be successful. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, Dean, what's, uh, what's on your mind? I know I see, I notice you've been feeding the horse while we're talking here, but what, uh, <laughs> what, what's come to you while, while that's happening? Yeah, well, I, I wanted, I'd love to dig a bit more into the, 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 how we, how we, somebody can begin on the culture side of things. Cause I, I, I think a lot of people, don't really know to begin. They don't feel like they have culture or they don't feel they have a handle on it. Like where, where does somebody in that position begin? I'd love if we could delve into that a little bit. Is that, yeah. is that okay with you, Greg? If, you know, you can, sure. you can tell him no, it's, you know, if you don't want to answer his question. That's <laughs> yeah, great, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, you know, I, I'll tell you what I don't think culture is. And yeah, I've, I've, I've joked about this with, with, you know, former people I've worked with. It's like, it's not the ping pong table. It's not the happy hour. It's not, it's not the, the keg, you know, like, I think that's kind of manufactured culture in a lot right. of ways. It's fun. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I mean, like, obviously you guys like to have fun. I like to have fun. We all like to go out, you know, and like, like hang out and you want to like the people you work with. But, you know, I think a lot of my philosophy does come back from my athletic background. Right. And you think mm-hmm. about any sports team, um, you know, you have this like band of brothers that come together with a shared goal, right. That goal yeah, right. is probably, you know, winning a championship. Right. And mm-hmm. everybody shows up every single day and they put in their work and they go to the weight room and they watch film and blah, 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 blah. And at the end of the day, it's everybody coming together because there's just enjoyment or there's this, this shared common objective. And mm-hmm. 
I've been a part of some amazing teams and every one of those amazing teams has had this like this great culture of like I would do anything I can do to help sort of the greater good. And that's that's ultimately where I think that the the culture of a company it, it's is very similar to that. It is that teamwork, mm. it is that feeling like you're part of something bigger than yourself. So to answer your question more specifically Dean, um and 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 this is a lot of the stuff, you know, it's fluid, right? I don't, I don't want to say right. that it's just going in there and checking boxes. Like they're, sure. every company is a little bit different, but I think the first thing you need to do is you need to be very clear and set an objective. What we're all here for, you know, what, mm-hmm. what we are trying to accomplish, like, and, and in a startup environment, like, you know, like I look at fancy, um, you know, we're, uh, we're an e-commerce marketplace. who has been around for 10 years. The company's raised over $130 million in venture capital. You know, there's been some amazing uh, um, moments. And, you know, we're, we're, we, you know, on any day have a lot of transactions and a lot of people visit our site, but the goal of our company isn't to just be like a kind of a middle of the road, low tier e-commerce marketplace. Like we want to be up there next to like Etsy and eBay and, you know, you know, Wayfair and, and, and sort of the, uh, the hierarchy of, uh, of e-commerce marketplaces. So, you know, with that goal set in mind, um, you know, you got to break that down into two objectives, but on any given day, everyone in our organization has this belief that we're here to build something great and they're excited by it. They're, um, they're, uh, they're energized by it. I try to empower my team as much as possible. And I want my team to empower their own teams. Um, and, you know, my hope, and I'm not perfect at this by any means, and we have our own issues, so don't get me wrong. Um, but my hope is that people want to come to work because they believe in the vision, they enjoy the work they're doing, and they take personal pride and their ability to work together as a team to eventually achieve that goal that we've all set for ourselves. I think it's really, really interesting. One of the things I couldn't help but hear as you were talking about that was also the competitive aspect yeah. of things, right? You know, and obviously as a, you know, former athlete, I was, I was a baseball player for a long time. Uh, sure. Dean did competitive crochet, you know, yeah. so he, so he understands <laughs> as well. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but, but it, it does somehow seem harder to me to really drive towards something when you don't understand the competitive landscape and who you're playing against or competing with. Would you, would you tend to agree with that? Or do you think there's like a different way of sort of inspiring that level of comp- competition inside of people? Yeah. You know, it's a big part of how I hire. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, we always talk, there's a lot of talk about, Oh, you want to hire X athletes, want to hire X athletes. And I, I, I don't have anything necessarily, um, about hiring ex-athletes, but I do think that there is a uh, a certain type of person that I personally am looking to hire when I when I when I when I st- when I'm coming to a company or when I'm building my team back up in, in any turnaround situation, and it's not necessarily somebody who's an athlete per se, but you can always tell the person that goes through life with a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. You know, somebody who is like always taking the next step to get better, someone who's shown that they're not complacent in what they do. Right. It's like, hey, this is a person that, uh, you know, made a decision several years in to go back and get an MBA because they wanted to you know, further themselves. Or this is somebody who started a, a, a business or this is, you know, someone that you can kind of see through their career has been able to get promoted and move up into their roles. And, and it's just a certain amount of ambition 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if, if you get those people that are, that are prideful and ambitious, you know, people who are going to start a podcast, right? Like, you know, those are the kind of people you want to build your team around. And, and, you know, if you can get people that are, that are smart, you know, I think you gotta, you know, that's another big thing I always look for is like people who just have cognitive ability to figure stuff out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mix that with ambition and you put the right leadership around them. It's pretty amazing things. Yeah. That's awesome. What a great recipe. Right. Ambitious intelligence with great leadership. Yeah, that's a tough that's a tough combination to beat. Yeah, I mean, it 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 is and 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 it isn't, right? I mean, there's a lot of really smart ambitious people out there. Um they don't always come from where you think they're going to come from. And you know, you got to you got to kind of have the right interview, you got to ask the right kind of questions, you got to get to know people, but you know, I I, I you know, it's, it's almost like, uh, it's like with dating, right? They always say there's like the one I'm looking for the one. And, and I, I read somewhere recently, like the one thing that they say about dating is like, there is not the one, like there's mm-hmm. countless people that would make an amazing wife or spouse or whatever it is. Right. Or, or podcast um, co-host or podcast. Yeah. Co-host, right? There's, there's one person I know who's useless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's finding the right people and putting them in the right positions to succeed. Uh, and not everyone's going to work out, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, I've, I've had a lot of luck with it myself and, and, and those are the kind of people that like, it's like like-minded people too, right? If you find the yeah. right kind of person, then your team starts to like, you know, that culture joint, you know, grows more because all the people that are on the team are similar, like-minded in regards to ambition and work ethic and intelligence and, um, so I think hiring is a big component of it too. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I suppose the, the whole, you know, ambitious and smart, uh, you know, Jeffrey Skilling from Enron was ambitious and smart. Yeah. Um, and now a- ethical is probably important too, right? Yeah. So, ethical well, and, 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 you know, the value, the alignment of those values as well, obviously, right? Like, Hey, we are customer centric. We don't steal, <laughs> you know, things, things, things like that. We don't defraud the public. Um, so I want to I want to shift gears here real quick because I think one of the cool things that I know you've been working on is crowdfunding for fancy.com um and but not just like you know hey like you, you know you chip in some money here and you get a product like you kind of see with like Indiegogo and other things like that not that there's anything wrong with that but you guys are taking a different approach in actually getting smaller investors right who are actually building up equity and that's a way that you guys are raising capital. I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about what's going on there. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So, you know, Fancy's uh, a really great company. I, I'm very lucky to, to have gotten the role and, and to be invited to, to, to come into this company and, and really, you know, take things forward. Uh, I mean, it's a company that was, you know, founded uh, 10 years ago, um, some amazing investors and people have been involved with the company. Uh, I mean, we have, you know, two billionaires on our board of directors today. Uh, I mean, there's, you know, big VCs and general catalysts. We have people like Carlos Slim and uh, American Express and Will Smith and, you know, all these different people that have, have, have invested and, and are part of the company are still, you know, involved with the company in a lot of ways. Uh, and, you know, they, they, they did go through some, some tough times there. There was a restructuring of the company, um, you know, 2018, uh, much lower valuation, you know, brought things back to like almost startup level in, in regards to the valuation of our company. Wow. Uh, but there was this foundation that I was able to walk in on, you know, you talk about the assets of the plane, like, Hmm. We have you know, almost 3 million active installs of the fancy um, app, 
right now. Uh, mm. You know, fancy.com, obviously a pretty, pretty, you know, good domain name, right. uh, tons of organic traffic to come through. You know, we had over 12 million user accounts set up, you know, 2 million transactions through the, through, through the platform, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, there was some profitability issues and some different things that we've really worked hard to turn things around. And, um, you know, we are raising some capital and our, our board of directors, which, you know, has pretty deep pockets has, has committed, uh, a substantial amount of that, but, um, you know, actually one of our board members is also an investor in this company called WeFunder. And, uh, just recently the SEC's changed some rules around, uh, in regards to being able to have non-accredited investors invest in private companies, which, used to be closed off. You know, you, you know, we couldn't invest in Facebook pre IPO, yeah. right? Yeah. It didn't work that way. Uh, but, but now you can, and they've opened that up. So we're running a campaign right now through WeFunder. Uh, it's a, it's an equity campaign. It, it's, it's the same terms, the same rules that our institutional investors are coming in on. Uh, and we decided that we wanted to do this, um, you know, for a couple of reasons, you know, one is, uh, you know, we've always had this pretty loyal user base of people. Um, that, you know, we wanted to give them the opportunity. But two, the way we looked at it is, you know, as you look to bring in capital, the opportunity to bring in, um, you know, capital from from just normal consumers also has this built-in fan base to it, right? Like we want to bring on totally. people who are going to be, you know, that that are already like fancy or believe in fancy. Uh, but, you know, the second you've actually invested in the company, you, you truly become an owner in it. And, and, right. and we believe that there's going to be sort of an exponential down the road value to that. So that that's going on right now. That's amazing. That's pretty, that's pretty fast. I was actually thinking that as, as, as you were just talking about it, I was thinking, as a as a consumer, perhaps that thought, oh, this is a great company. Yes, I've seen this thing. I'll I'll, I'll put some money in. You're now going to be almost championing championing the company to others, aren't you? You now become an active, you know, planting the flag in the ground for Fancy.com and telling everyone to go use it, aren't you? So I, I, that's a, I think that's a pretty fascinating side to what you're doing. Yeah, and and and, and you know, obviously, uh, you know, we're only on audio here, but if you could see Dean, he's actually gotten a Fancy.com tattoo. Um, <laughs> across his chest. So, I mean, right. you know, he's, he's already an advocate. <laughs> um, you know, here, so here's a question for you. So, cause this, this whole thing sounds, um, like a pretty revolutionary way for, you know, companies that may not have other avenues of capital yeah. to, you know, to grow and get funded and everything like that. Um, you know, how, how small of an investment can you take from somebody and, you know, actually be like, Hey, you're, you've got ownership in this company. Like, is there a certain dollar amount? Like, how does that work? Yeah, no, we're, um, we are accepting, and I don't know from the sec if there's what they say is the minimum investor. Um, I, I believe the platform we funder and, and, and our campaign, it's $250, 250 bucks. It's that little. So, and then what happens is the, um, all the investments get rolled into a single entity. Uh, we'll, we'll have a lead investor named on that and they'll sit on our cap table alongside, you know, all the other people I just mentioned, you know, Carlos wow. Slim and, and, you know, one of the owners of Boston Salt. Like that's, you know, it just sits on our cap table. They're going to get, uh, investor updates. You know, it's, it's preferred equity, like the whole bit. Yeah. That's amazing. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, cool. I, I just, I just love the idea of democratizing access to capital for smaller businesses mm. who may not go the VC route, who may not, you know, have friends and family with deep pockets, 
right. you know, institutional relationships and stuff like that. And it's kind of like, okay, you know, let, let, let the marketplace decide. That's right. That's, that's, uh, that's absolutely amazing. I'm super excited to watch that space Yeah, and, uh, and see, see how that works for you guys and, uh, and for, for other companies that are doing it. So, um, yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing that with us. It's very, very cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so we're going to be, uh, we're going to be, uh, wrapping up with Greg here in a second, but if you guys are listening live and you want to call in, you've got a turnaround question, you've got a culture question, uh, you know, you want to give Dean some BS, like whatever, call in 888-627-6008. We're here to take your calls and, uh, would love to hear from you guys. So, um, so Greg, any, any sort of parting shots before you go on what people should be thinking about right now or in general to protect and grow their companies? Yeah, man. Um, I, I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunities that are going to be, uh, you know, created by this. I know it's a, it's a really unfortunate time. I think that there's, there's, um, you know, a lot of industries that are, are, are hurt and I think it's going to be really hard for them to come back. Like I think airlines is tough. I think airlines may not bounce back from this for a while, but when it comes to digital, uh, I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity out there. I mean, um, you know, I think if anything, what this has done is it's, it's, it's brought sort of the laggards uh, in the digital world online, whether it's using, you know, tools like we're using today, whether it's going online and, 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 and be comfortable with e-commerce, whether it's using product, you know, like, uh, you know, Uber Eats and, and, you know, online grocery services and Postmates and all these different types of things. So, you know, as more people, and, and it's not like we didn't have enough already, but as more people, and, and it's a substantial number, come online and are getting more comfortable with digital services. I think it opens a, a tremendous amount of opportunity for, for entrepreneurs and companies out there that, that can capitalize on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I could not agree more. Right. Absolutely. Um, Dean, any, uh, any thoughts or questions or comments, uh, for Greg before, uh, before he, no, just, you know, I was just thinking, uh, you know, when you mentioned Greg and likening the team to, to like athletics and a sports team, it's funny. I was, I, I was actually during this COVID time. I, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I watched a documentary on Netflix. It was a Michael Jordan. Oh, documentary. oh dude, don't spoil it for me. I want like, I'm waiting for this weekend to watch that. Oh, okay. I'm not, well, I'm not going to spoil anything, but all I was going to say is, is like, I, I, as you were saying those words, I'm thinking back to that and seeing the team and how it was orchestrated. And like you say, how everybody knows the goal and the buy-in is so strong from the team and to see how that paid off and what yeah. happened there. I, I think that was awesome how you like into that. And uh, yeah, I just thank you for sharing everything. Yeah, no, I, 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 you know, I've, uh, if I ever write a book, I actually want to write a book. Uh, I've, I've kind of bounced some ideas around it, but just around how, um, the typical athletic team can teach a CEO or any type of leader so many business lessons. And, you know, I, I think one of them, like I was, I was kind of talk to people about that, you know, maybe aren't that familiar with sports is sort of this concept of being coachable or, yeah. you know, being willing to just take criticism. And, and I, and, and we're all probably guilty of this. Like, you know, especially when you get a little further in your career, people don't like to hear what they've done wrong. Right. But, right. you know, you know, Tom Brady and, you know, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, I guarantee you every Monday morning he sits in a room and there's a coach that's going to tell him 25 things that he did wrong. You know, yeah, and that's the way athletics work. Like players, 
have to be coached and they have to be able to take criticism. And, and I think that there's a lot of people out there today that aren't good at that. And, you know, I think that's just one example of something that, you know, you learn in athletics and you take to your professional career, you know, first as an employee, then hopefully down the road as a leader uh, can just make you more effective. Oh my God. I could, I could probably talk about this with you for God knows how many hours, but, but it's like, why, if you really are committed to the goal, right? Why wouldn't you want to accept feedback that helps you get that goal? That's right. It's absurd to think that you would let your ego get in the way. No, no, no. I don't want keep your feedback. Right. Like, I don't want it. I'm just going to stay the course. E- and even if that course doesn't get me to my goal, it's like absolutely ludicrous. Yeah. 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 So- well, I, yeah. you know, I, you know, one of the things I've observed is that I, I sometimes think that some people maybe that are, are, are of that kind of person, they often attach experience purely to time. And yeah. so they, they think yes. I've, I've been doing this longer than anyone else beneath me here or around me. Nobody can tell me anything, you know, and, and, and I've seen that trip people up before. Yeah. Well, you might've been doing it wrong longer than anybody right. else. Before. Exactly. <laughs> You've certainly had longer time to pick up bad habits. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think it's, uh, I think this is such, such an important thing because, you know, I have, um, I have some private coaching clients that I work with and one of my absolute musts before I'll even consider working with anybody is do I think this person is coachable? Yeah. Because if, if they're not coachable, I have zero time, zero desire to waste any time telling them what they should do. And I remember um, <laughs> uh, one time I was on the phone, somebody in the background overheard me, but I was like, if you had done what I told you to do, you'd be making money by now. Cause they were like, you know, I just was like point blank. I was like, listen, don't get on here and cry. Don't tell me like all your problems. No do way what to I... talk to your mom. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do it. Do, if you did what I said, which is a solid course of action, you'd, you'd be doing great yep. or definitely better than you're doing right now. And, and I think that, uh, it, it, it does come down to, are you more committed to your goal? Or are you committed to, you know, your way of doing things or your excuses or whatever? Like what's, what's really more important to you. Hmm. And, uh, and, and it's, and it's sobering and like, that's when reality hits you in the head and you got to look at yourself that way sometimes too. You'd be like, Hey, you know, if, if this is my goal and what I'm doing is not working, so what? Like, don't get your ego wrapped up in it. Just adjust and find a, find a different way. You know, you can't, uh, you can't expect to achieve, achieve your outcome without ever correcting course. Like, that's kind of a ridiculous way to think about things. So kind of glad you brought that up, Greg. You got me fired up now. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that, that, that introspection is, uh, it's a skill in a lot of ways, right? The it, we all, you know, you, it's, it's kind of funny, right? There's just a balance, like to be an entrepreneur, especially you got to be so positive, right? Like yeah. if you just sat around and you thought about all the negative things that could go wrong, like you would just curl up in a ball in your bed. Go get a job. That's what you, you do. Get a job. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you have to have this kind of like unwavering belief in yourself and what you're doing and sort of like compartmentalize and like just, like almost defy reality, right? They used to always talk about like, you know, Steve Jobs and his, you know, reality distortion field or whatever it is. But at the same time, you also have to be really introspective, right? And you have to be, you know, able to look at yourself and and sort of critique yourself. Like, am I doing the right thing? So, you know, is, 
you know, what, you know, like, 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 am I really putting in the effort? Is this really the right decision? Am I really cut? So, you know, I think you got to have a little bit of both. Like I've seen those entrepreneurs that are like, so in their reality distortion field that, and honestly, many times that's what leads to where, where they bring somebody like me in because <laughs> yeah. uh, the company's going sideways. Um, but then, you know, if you, if you're not sort of supremely confident, you, you can't really be successful in that capacity either. Yeah. Well, I, um, for me, I think the way that I look at it is how, how accurately can I assess reality and mm -hmm. be okay with it? Yeah. Right. Like, cause the closer and closer I can get to what's real, the more, the more I have the ability to make a change or maneuver with reality. And, um, and I, I love in, uh, his book principles, Ray Dalio yeah. talks about like one of the most important things they've consistently done at his firm Bridgewater over the decades is get a thorough and accurate understanding of reality so they can navigate that because that's what is. And it's not like, I think, I think people feel sometimes like embracing reality is somehow losing optimism. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think embracing reality is the path to creating what you really want because that's the place where you actually can get stuff done. And, um, but sometimes reality hurts and I get why you wouldn't want to look at it. You'd be like, Oh, I'd rather be over here with my head in the sand, but eventually it's going to come back and bite you in the ass. Yeah. And no, uh, it's so true, man. I, uh, I, I was a COO of a company. Uh, I wasn't the CEO. I, so there was the founder and then there was a CEO and they were both very much the like eternal optimists, right? Like the, the everything was great. We're going to crush this thing. And I like felt like I had to balance it. So I was, and I used to call myself the realist. They used to be right. negative, <laughs> negative. It's like, no, I'm not negative. I'm just the realist. Like, what is our contingency here? Like, what if that doesn't work out? Like, what do we do then? And, uh, and, it, and, and I think that was good at that, at that company, I needed to be the sort of a counter to their, to their optimism. But then now I've, I'm, I find myself kind of as a CEO, I tend to be more of that like super optimist. And it's like, I need like people on my team to kind of bring me back to the, the reality <laughs> on the day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, I think, I think it's just having the right people around you and kind of balancing out uh, to, to, to be able to think things and see things from a 360 perspective. Yeah. That's uh that's amazing. Well, Greg, thank you so much for being here. Um, we, uh, we've definitely appreciate your insights and, uh, and your tips for those of you guys who are listening, uh, Greg's brought with him, I, I think a really amazing offer, uh, for those of you guys who, uh, want to check out fancy.com. We've got a coupon code for first time buyers, 25% off, which is pretty freaking ridiculous. Thank you for yeah. doing that, Greg. Absolutely. Um, coupon code is just the tips. So as you're putting that in, you can have yourself a laugh and you can get 25% off of your first purchase. Um, Greg, thanks. Thanks again, my friend. I, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how your WeFunder campaign goes. And when you do write that book, we definitely want to have you back on the show. I, I appreciate it, guys. This is, uh, this was super fun. Uh, you guys have an amazing show. You're super fun to listen to. <laughs> thanks. 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 Flattery will get you everywhere. So thanks again. <laughs> um, so for those of you guys who are still with us listening to the show, Dean and I are here. Would love to take your calls, uh, 888-627-6008. If you're international, for our Zheng Zhao listeners, 323-744-4831. Um, Dean, I think, uh, I think that was like, I think that was a really interesting perspective on how to think about what's going on in the world right now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually, uh, 
I, I love what we were just touching on there towards towards the end before before we rounded up that part of the show with with just being real about the current situation, like where where you're at, and being a real like actually looking at the the, the facts of what's going on. I, I I loved what you said. Uh, I, well, I could relate to what you said about. You could uh, say you loved it. It's okay. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I've gone too far with the compliment. <laughs> you guys heard it. It's <laughs> really already cut. No, you can't reel it back in. It's too late. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is admittedly often scary and very easy to shy away from facing up to the reality or the truth of a current situation um and and i know i i've had various stages of that throughout my journey in in business and but the one you know the one that dawns on me the most and i think this might be quite uh you know quite timely with the current things that are going on so rewind the clock 10 years it was 2010 I had quit my job the previous year before. I was actually starting to make some money doing affiliate marketing as a business model. Um, but I was still carrying with me a ton of debt. You know, I was very fortunate at that stage that I was fairly young, lived with my mom and, and could take a risk on myself. Um, but plus you, were do- plus you were paying the bills by doing burlesque at night. Right. You know, I had a fallback plan. Yeah, uh, A obviously. very hefty fallback plan, as some, <laughs> some might say. Uh, <laughs> um but but I had an invitation from my first mentor. I think it was 2010 to, towards the end of 2010, and and I had to relocate in order to do this project we were going to do together. I relocated from England to Wales, just another part of the UK. But one of the first things he insisted we sat down and did when I when we went into that situation was for me to sit down and face the truth of my finances. Yeah. Um, because I quit my job and thought, yeah, look at me living a different type of life now. But I still carried all the baggage from the failings of the first four years of this venture I was doing. And so I had tens and tens of thousands on credit cards. There was like multiple credit cards, multiple bank loans, and just a lot of baggage from the past. And I still, to this day, 10 years on, remember the resilience and the fear I had internally of sitting down and just going through my bank statements, what payments were going out? What creditors did I have? What were those actual debts? You know, what were the figures? I had no idea. I was so ignorant, deliberately ignorant to the real reality of the situation I was in that I didn't want to look what was going on behind. I just wanted to move forwards best I could. And I think there's going to be a lot of people in a lot of different industries with a lot of different types of businesses right now that are facing scary situations and are quite probably forcing themselves to remain ignorant to the reality of what is going on or what the situation actually is. And I think it's so true with what you've said that only when we face that reality of the situation, can we understand it and see what steps can be taken uh, to, you know, to to positively remedy that situation and improve that situation. And here's, here's the thing I just finally add to that based on that uh, memory of mine and, and remembering that fear and the feeling is as tough as it was to face the reality at the time, I would say literally within one to two hours of doing it, I was immediately starting to feel better, like more positive and just more aware. And actually, here's the interesting thing. The situation wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. And, and, And I think for anybody listening, and I know not everybody's facing difficulties. Some people are thriving. We've spoke about that, but there's some people that are not. And I think for anybody that's feeling that fear or ignoring the situation or just turning a blind eye to the reality, 
I can honestly say through going through that several times, face it because it's the only way I feel to actually help yourself. And more often than not, because I'm not the only person I've spoke to that's done such things, you will probably find that it's not as bad as you've built it up to be in your mind. It might be bad, might be terrible, but more often than not, we actually exaggerate because through fear and ignorance, how bad that reality is. And, and I think once you face up to it, that's the moment you can finally start to improve and change because you, you now understand the situation. I, I, I know that wasn't where we focused most of the show, but I think it's so timely. And I think it's such a, a thing that so many will relate to that. I didn't want to just ignore that at the end. No, I think, I think it's absolutely right. And I think that is one of the most important skills that you can have uh, as a human, number one, right. but as an entrepreneur and as somebody who is, you know, who is running a company, your ability to not just uh, see reality, but embrace reality and then work with reality um, is so important. And I, and I think this is one of the reasons why, you know, I really enjoy a challenging workout or, or mm. something where it's like, you can't wish that the weight was lighter or you can't wish this yeah. or that. It's like, I am here with this weight right now. And this is tough, but I'm going to experience and embrace this situation and, and, uh, and, you know, kind of make the most of it. Um, reminds me of a, a bike ride that I took not that long ago. It was like, you know, I don't know. I went, you know, probably about 15 miles one direction and then I turned around and unbeknownst to me, I had a nasty headwind coming back really <laughs> oh, <no>. hard. And <laughs> I was just For like, 50 oh. miles, you're thinking, well, this is a pleasant, easy yeah, ride. No, I was like, man, I should have just gone for another 15, right? It was just amazing. <laughs> and I, and I turned around and it was, it was tough. And right. in that moment, you know, I had a choice. I was like, well, I could sit here in my mind and I can complain. I can, you know, uh, think about, oh, that was stupid. You don't, you know, you didn't experience the other way before you went so far, like all these different things. But, but I just was like, you know what? I am just going to experience the difficulty and the challenge that's being presented to me right now. And almost like in this weird sort of way, embrace it. And <laughs> you uh, sick, and, twisted human being, you. <laughs> yeah. No, that's exactly right. But it my was biggest like, problem would have been phone signal for Uber XL. yeah that would i mean you could have gone that way as well right but i was like here i am this is what's tough this is my my job right now is to persevere through this right and obviously it's not a big deal like everybody's got you know things that are uh that are happening that are much more difficult but i think uh i think that's one way to look at it so considering what we were talking today i'm i'm gonna do a little plug here for uh for my managing like a boss program um, yes. if you guys are, you know, you have a team, you're trying to get more done with the same people, more done with less people. You need to check out managing like a boss, help you understand how to create a winning culture where your team shows up and wants to crush it, how to delegate correctly. So things get done without you, how to make sure your team is accountable. So you don't have to micromanage them without endless meetings and running in circles and really how to show up as a leader that, you know, you can be visit jamespfreel.com forward slash managing. Um, and you can get your hands on managing like a boss. So, um, we're about to wrap up here today. Any, uh, 10 seconds or less, anything you want to say to our listeners before we go, Dean? 
No, just uh, bye. <laughs> <laughs> and and on that highly anticlimactic note. Uh, we appreciate you guys being here with us today. Thank you for being a valuable listener for the show. We've got some very, very exciting stuff coming up for you guys as listeners. Uh, we're just, I think we're just weeks away from releasing something that we're very excited about. And uh, make sure that you visit us at justtipshow.com for past episodes. And uh, for the love of God, will one of you please call us at 888-627-6008. We'd love to hear you. And uh, should we tell them about the YouTube and Facebook thing, or should we wait until August when that's going to go live? Oh, well, I think you've already said enough in what you've All right, we, we may or may not be moving to have a highly interactive video show with you guys on YouTube and Facebook. We're going to see more about that in the month of August. We're pretty excited about it. In the meantime, call in. Visit us at JustTipShow.com. This is James P. Freel signing off for another episode of Just Tips with my bearded, amazing co-host, Mr. Dean Holland. We will talk with you guys later. See you, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipsshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland, visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to go from being a hustling entrepreneur to an effective CEO, capable of running your company without being stuck in the day-to-day, Visit me for free training and resources at jamesbfreel.com. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License.